The Athletic. Hello, listener. Sorry to kick off with a notice and not some kind of loquacious intro about Macton Town or something similar, but we need your help. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits, and the, the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. It's pretty catchy. So I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, officially the only remaining media outlet that won't be discussing the dirty laundry of an ex-squaddy and his actress wife. On today's show we welcome Jack Joyce from Sports Interactive for a session of Set Pieces 101. We go back to the 1985-86 season with the mad professor's exquisite moderate. We've got some absolutely vicious gloating in the letters section. And why are we reviewing Gary Neville's autobiography? because the book club is back, and it was really cheap. Before all of that, though, I need to thank you again for the incredible work you've been doing to keep growing this show. JPMT, Dylan DeZayu, Brian Retty, Joe Lindy, Jack Hammond 90 all came through for us this week by leaving brilliant reviews on Apple. Elsewhere, this week, we've had more retweets, likes, follows, everything than ever before on at FMPodAthletic on Twitter. And I tell you, if audience numbers were points in the Athletics League of Podcasts, we'd be pushing for a European place right now. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I'm constantly pushing for more and more FM content. And the support that you've given us this week, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. Now, hopefully, we'll be able to offer you something in return today. If you've been following the FM Bundesliga Challenge, you'll know that set pieces have been a huge part of my Schalke team's... I mean, success isn't the right word, but maybe non-failure. And so, returning to us today from the upper cortex of the sports interactive hive mind, it's Jack Joyce. Hey, how you doing? Very well, thank you, Jack. All the better for having you with us. Jack, you've been on the show before, but for those listeners who might not have listened, what exactly do you do all day? <laughs> um, so I'm the senior QA lead on the uh, match team. So I sort of uh, oversee the running of the QA work on the match side of things, like the AI, but also the um, art animation and graphics as, as well. So QA is basically where people write in and go, the game's done this and I don't think it should do it and and you sort of pile in and go uh either the game is right or you sir are wrong <laughs> yeah exactly um you know we we see a lot of um feedback on the forums so we, we investigate it see if there's a, an actual valid issue there and then we forward it onto the developers and sort of help them work out the best solution if there is a problem now we're doing set pieces today and i was startled on uh on sunday i was playing my marseille forever save and um did took the winter break opportunity to go through and just completely redo all of my set pieces and when i did the free kicks i got a little award saying um like because i completed every possible variety of set piece uh, i won my little badge and it said only 1.2 percent of players actually win that badge now i shouldn't be gloating about this because i've had the game for several months and i've evidently only just done it um but it is a thing we've, we've found this with replies to, to when people have listened to the show there's a lot of people who don't do set pieces 
No, yeah, it's very, very few people do set pieces. Um, like you say, like that achievement's got like what one point two percent of people have unlocked it. But just generally, even just changing your corner setup, like I think the, the majority of people don't even do that. They just what? use the default. Yeah, it's a it's a bit crazy. Like, you, can you imagine like a real football manager doing that? Just coming in and just saying, "Oh, corners, just do whatever," and, and just leaving it. It's do you know crazy, true really. story? True story. There was a manager at Southend who did that. Um, a, uh, <laughs> cl- close friend of the show reported that the the aforementioned manager of Southend. Uh, had no instructions for corners apart from just swing it in and see what happens. Well, that doesn't surprise me the way story. they're playing at the moment. Well, yes, quite. <laughs> um, they make a huge difference, don't they? I mean, my Schalke side would be in disarray without set pieces. No, yeah, they're, they're really important. Like, I think set pieces in general account for at least 30% of goals in football. So even if you get like a, a little 1% advantage out of that, it can be a, quite a few goals over the course of a season. And we all know how quickly things turn around in the game. You can be leading 2-1, concede a goal, 2-all, and it kickstarts a, a, a sudden tailspin in your team. Like every goal counts. Yeah. It doesn't have to be hard. Not You don't have to be as weird as me and sit there for an hour on a Sunday um, painstakingly doing every single one. There, there are quick ways to do it, aren't they? And, and I guess yeah. you would start with a kind of a strategy a balance between risk and reward because it's not just as, as simple as saying like stick all the big blokes up front yeah you always want to have a plan for when things break down a lot of teams like to keep one or two people on the edge of the box so you're winning that second ball and then you, you know that a lot of the time that second cross into the box can be even more dangerous than the first because the defense they all start pushing up and then you you whip across in they're a bit disorganized but yeah you generally you, you want to have a bit of a plan you don't want to just you know, like you say, stick all the big guys up top. You want to have them in key areas. Think about, okay, well, should we try and get a flick on? You know, have a bit of a plan about it. When it comes to selecting those people, let's say we're going for the the thing that I use in in my Schalke save is the near post corner. Obviously, you want the person who's best at corners taking the corners. Obviously, you want to click and tell them to put them in at the near post. When it comes to selecting targets, what attributes do you look for other than being really tall? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, jumping reach is, is a huge one. Um, but there's also attributes like, um, obviously, strength is, is quite important. But there's also things like um, bravery and aggression. Um, those are quite key and like, um, not as important as, you know, jumping reach and strength and obviously heading for the accuracy of the header. But um, bravery is still like quite a big factor. If they're being challenged as well, um, it can help them out. Um, it may be even balanced just to hold the defender off as the cross comes in. So, Jack, when it comes to picking the the person who takes it, I guess there is one variable to look for, and that's whether they're left-footed or right-footed and which side you put them on. Can can you just, for anyone who finds that a little bit disorientating, what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? Yeah, well, I think a lot of it comes down to preference at the end of the day. Like um, Some people like to use an in-swinger just because it's a little bit more natural for the, uh, the heading player to direct it towards goal sometimes it just needs a bit of a flick in the right direction but then obviously with the in-swinger the ball is curving in towards the goalkeeper which might make it a bit easier for him to claim so some teams like to use a bit of an out-swinger just to make it so the ball comes away from the keeper a bit but then um, it does mean it's a little bit harder to get power on the header towards goal sometimes you might need to play for like a flick on but I think either is valid as long as you have a, a game plan and 
you know, I wouldn't be too worried if, say, you've got a right-footed player that's much better at corner-taking than everyone else. Um, I wouldn't necessarily suggest using a poor corner-taker just because they're left-footed on the left side. But you'd want to be aware of that in-swinger-out-swinger thing. So maybe your your primary target for the set pieces would be on the near post for uh, an in-swinger. But for an out-swinger, maybe you'd just have them attacking the near post to make it more likely that they get it. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. You see, like, just think about, have a bit of a picture in your head about what what you want as a result of that type of cross. Because, yeah, sometimes... Yeah, an outswinger might be nicer to the far post than an inswinger, for example. And one of the things you can do as well, and it's always worth remembering this, I had an Arsenal game that that did well on this, uh, short corners, that actually if you bring a couple of people in, you're essentially just giving yourself possession on the edge of the opposing penalty box, aren't you? Yeah, and those can be very effective as well. Especially if you haven't got any particular tall players, you might want to just work the ball a bit rather than just put the ball in the box against a team that's much better than you in the air. Now, when it comes to defensive set pieces, I haven't massively micromanaged here. I've I've done one thing, which is to take my biggish striker and put him in into the sort of mass of people guarding the six-yard box. And then I've made sure the person on the halfway line is my quickest player, just in case it pops out. But you can actually go really granular on this, can't you? And um, a man mark specifically. Yeah, and I think the defensive corner setups is probably what I focus on most from set pieces. But um, there's a lot you can do with it. It's like, do you want people on the post? If so, how many? How many? Do you want to leave anyone outside the box, or do you want to leave one or two? And also, just how you mark up. Like, do you want your biggest players man marking, or do you want them marking zonal areas? There's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of decisions to make there. And now you can see why I spent about an hour on this on on Sunday. Um, One of the things we've talked about a lot on this podcast is this bastard Skynet AI that learns, uh, it watches, it observes, and it reacts to what you're doing. And I have noticed on my games that I can have a near post corner routine that's doing really well for sort of 10, 15 matches. And then all of a sudden it isn't doing really well because the computers reacted and started man marking. Um, Generally speaking, how long is it before the AI wises up? Um, it can depend, really. It depends on the manager, because they all have this like um, tactical knowledge uh, based on how good they are as a manager. But generally, it dep- they also have like um, different settings based on how they like to defend corners. So it might be that you're struggling to score goals against managers that like to man mark from corners rather than zonal or the other way around. So it might be that maybe you're coming up against a certain style of manager that just works better against your corner setup, and maybe you want like to have alternate setups depending on how they like to play uh, defensively at corners. Maybe you could um, scout their previous match, see how they set up, and think, okay, it's time for our plan B. I, I feel that this this podcast is the only place I can admit to actually having done that in the past, <laughs> watching highlights. Because every now and then, I haven't done it on the new one, but on FM seventeen, every now and then they put like a five foot five fullback at the um, at the near post or the far post, and you could yeah. just bully them. Um, but you do need a lot of free time to be doing all of that. Yeah, it takes um, a lot of time. Speaking of time, of course, with the specific training modules, you you can get better at, at, at corners. Um, how quickly and by doing what? Yeah, so you can do a bit of pre-match prep on um, attacking and defending set pieces, and it does have an, an impact on the match um, upcoming as well. So um, if you're going against a team that you think is particularly weak or 
uh, defending corners or maybe particularly strong at attacking them. Uh, it's worth putting a, a slot in in your training that week and the lead up to the match because it, it does have an impact on your team's performance in the match. It'll make them a little bit more switched on uh, mentally because so, they've prepared it recently. It's fresh in their mind. Now, one of the things I like is the ability to choose between you know working on attacking corners or working on attacking free kicks. And if you do check the um, the the team stats before a match, if you're coming up against the dirtiest team in the league, then it's really worth putting a session in on attacking free kicks because you're going to get loads of them. But one question I've got there there is an option just to do like set piece delivery. Now, what does that do? Is that like a light dusting of everything? Um, rather than specific time on one thing? I think the um, set-piece delivery one, and I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think it is a uh, training schedule that specifically focuses on the actual taker itself. So um, he might spend a little bit extra time on the training ground just working on his crossing from dead ball situations. And it, it will have like a little residual effect on the other players if they're training with him. Yeah. But um, the main focus is on just improving their delivery itself so those key attributes like corners free kick taking that's what would be the key focus there nice and again another thing that this show is constantly preached everything is connected to everything every training routine has an effect and if you can match it up with the kind of football you're trying to play it'll have a, a multiplier um for those people i mean a lot of people will listen to this and they'll they'll be loading up the game right now and tinkering and micromanaging some people won't have that sort of time and they're just sitting here saying, just just tell me what to do. Give me a freebie. Um, what what have you got? What works for you? Um, particularly, like I said, I like to work on the, the defensive side of things. So it's particularly from defensive corner setups. I don't quite, I don't really like the default. I like to um, change it up a bit. I like um, a bit more of a modern way of defending. You know, I have no one on the posts and I have all my big players marking zonally. And then I have my shorter players man-marking just to disrupt the run of the player. But I really like having those biggest players marking the key areas of the box, like the near post and the middle to six-yard box. That's how I like to defend. I, I'm not a huge proponent of just, you know, huge man-marking systems. I like have zonal and then have a few man-markers just to disrupt the runs. So defensive corners, I like to have my smartest player right on the edge of the box someone with vision and uh, decision making and passing so when the ball pops out they it pops out to them and they decide the next move and as i say the quickest player i've got on the halfway line for the break and if those two things combine um well you remember that goal that jamie vardy scored against liverpool from a maras uh, long yeah. pass you, you hope to get one of those um attacking wise i spoke about the near post corner last week um what what's your best offensive set piece um I, I like to mix it up a bit to be honest i have um i tend to have yeah like you say i have a big guy at the near post um i have a big guy at the far post and then i i, I like to have a couple on the edge of the area just to sort of pick up the loose balls from clearances and i just tell the players to mix it up a bit um i, I don't really focus on just hitting it near post every time i like to have a bit of variety just in case as you say you might come up against a team that's really good at defending the near post so I always I get them to mix it up and we shouldn't forget throw-ins um when I was briefly Sunderland manager I couldn't figure out why we were giving the ball away so much and I went into the analysis and I found out it was a guy taking throw-ins on the left-hand side can't remember who it is now but he kept giving the ball away um because he 
I, I don't know, just no good at throw-ins. So I set him to short throw-ins, brought two players in, bang, all of a sudden he's not giving the ball away. I mean, it didn't help because I still got sacked, but it, it was nice to be able to have an effect. So you can do things like that, and we cannot not talk about the success of the, the long throw-in routine for my Schalke side. Danny DaCosta, the human trebuchet, long throw to the big man at the near post. Um, that seems to be working well. Yeah, long throws can be a bit of a lethal weapon as well, um, if, especially if you've got the right player to take it. We've actually got a bit, a few changes coming up for that in the next patch. Um, so what? we might lose a bit of effectiveness potentially, depending what? on their, their throw <laughs> <No>. taking ability. <laughs> yeah, I'm not um, going to go into details, but we've worked closely with the uh, some community members on uh, some changes for that, just to affect the um, yeah oh the, the sort of distances that poor throwing takers can take. You know, Alex Stewart is listening to this right now, howling with laughter because he knows that's basically all that's keeping me in the top half. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> God, that's 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 really taken the wind out of my sails. Um, Jack, in spite of what you've just said, uh, absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, if you follow us on Twitter at FMPodAthletic, we, um, we, we've been asking uh, followers for their best set pieces. You'll find loads of things on there. And if you track back far enough, you'll find my near post corner, which uh, hopefully will still work in a couple of weeks' time. Jack, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, you know that this is the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, right? Cool, cool. And you know that if you type www.theathletic.com forward slash fmpod into Google, it will take you to a page where you can get six months of The Athletic for £3.99 a month. Cool. And and you know that 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 is basically a pound a week for the best football writing out there. You do? Well, that's excellent. That's that dealt with then. Let's move on. The Football Manager Show Community Centre. Okay, you know how this works. If you found something out there in the FM community that's awesome, tell me and I'll make sure it gets as much exposure as we can give it. Well, Josh Richards knows this and he writes to say... I was just listening to the Happy Update Day episode on the FM Show podcast and you mentioned about legacy databases. You've probably already heard this by now. I have not. But there is a creator called The Mad Scientist who does exactly this. It takes him months and months to create these databases, but they're works of art. Well, after reading that, we went and had a look and Josh is right. Now, you may have seen a lot of databases out there, and, and you will have noticed that some of them are not so good. And this is because it takes about 10 to 15 minutes to create a single player on the editor. And that's when all the data is in your head. So how long do you think it takes to research and update tens of thousands of players and managers and clubs and divisions? So that's all I could think while I was skipping happily through the 1985-86 the database that Mad Scientist created for FM18. Now, everyone has like their first real football season, and mine was 85-86. I had the Football 86 sticker album. I kept it under my pillow. I read it after dark by the light of my digital watch. I used to try to invent paper and dice-based proto-versions of Football Manager because this is what you did if you grew up before the internet. So imagine, imagine my joy at discovering this database, which is just 
beautiful. The big things are all there. Like Ian Rush is at Liverpool and he's a poacher and Stuart Pearce is at Nottingham Forest and he's terrifying. Everyone's trying to sign Tony Cotty. But it's the little things like like Southampton playing at the Dell and it's a really small stadium or the England squad looking exactly the way the England squad did in 1985. It must have taken ages. So let's find out. Can you hear me, mad scientist? Oh, yes, I can. Loud and clearly, Ian. And your name isn't actually Mr. Mad Scientist, is it? It isn't. To uh, many people's surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I felt you might have had particularly cruel parents, but it's DeLucas Stoltz. And where are you from? I am from Denmark. Now, what in the world possessed you to start making these, these fully fleshed out databases? Because they are huge undertakings. Yeah, well, it started a long time ago. I know you go way back, Ian, as well, uh, to the very first edition of Championship Manager in 1992. Um, I think maybe the second or the third version, uh, I started creating these small programs so I could just edit a player's name. So I I always had that inside. uh, It it just makes the the game much more fun for me because I'm, I'm a huge nostalgia fanatic. Um, and I would say maybe uh, 10 years ago, I stumbled upon my old Panini sticker albums, as you mentioned as well. And uh, I just got this need to, to play in Football Manager with all these old legends that I still remember so, so clearly. Um, so I, I started to create these co- complete databases, setting up the league structures as they were back then, setting up uh, the teams and, uh, and starting creating players. And uh, it, it's become an obsession now. And I cannot stress enough how detailed these are. You know, it, it's it's one thing to just, I don't know, go in and do the Liverpool side in 1985-86, but it's the Liverpool side, it's the reserves, it's the, the, the right stadium specifications, it's the right division, and then it's like the rest of the Premier League, and then the second flight, and then you've got Italy and Spain. How long does this take? Like, how long does just even one club take well yeah, just to comment on the the detail level it, it has to be for me it has to be very detailed uh, otherwise I, I wouldn't i wouldn't do it uh, and that's the that's the 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 curse of a perfectionist because i just i just can't skip through quickly i have to to uh, to plot in all the details such as, as players heights and weight and all the details we can have. And um, for the 85-86 database, it is uh, a special one because there's no old championship manager game where I can copy the player attributes. So I had to uh, to research for a couple of years on that one, uh, <laughs> watching uh, old videos, uh, reading through uh, football archives and stuff. And uh, I, I just enjoy it. I just enjoy dwelling down in history. And I also enjoy the editing. It, it takes me it takes me six to eight months to to create what I call a, a playable database with uh, with three nations at least and um, and that's maybe ten to twelve hours a day. I just uh, edit like a madman and that's where the obsession thing come in because I just enjoy the editing phase as well. I mean you get uh, like two databases out of every edition of Football Manager because obviously by the time you've done that, a new one's out and and you have to change again. So tell us what you've done so far. Yeah, uh, for the last two seasons, I only uh, dropped one database per per Football Manager version. 
because uh, they're starting to get more and more comprehensive. Uh, I get requests for, uh, won't you please make the Romanian league? Won't you please add the the Hungarian league and stuff? And I uh, I want to make uh, as many as many people from as many nations happy uh, to play my my databases. Um, so so yeah, I uh, I started out with the ninety five ninety six database for FM eighteen, and that is because that's my favorite my personal favorite era in football, the mid nineties, the early nineties. And after that one, uh, the 85-86 just came into mind because the, the legends from, from that time, I remember them as well. So that could be fun to, to jump into that era. And from then, I, I, I let the, my users decide which season I had to have to do. So the users decided me to do the 2003-04 season, uh, the 1966-67 season. That was a special one to create as well. So much fun creating that one. And last year, I, I released the 2006-07 database, the most popular to date. And you've got a new one coming out for FM21 very, very soon. I do. I am working 12 to 14 hours a day at the moment uh, due to lockdown in Denmark and stuff. I have the time to uh, to focus on it. And it's the 2001-02 database that people <sighs> voted for. <laughs> It's an epic game if you think about the Championship Manager uh, version 0102 and and as as I'm getting further and further into the database I can't wait to launch it. It's going to be so much fun because there's still some of the legends, the 90s legends around uh, and the new generation is on the way as well so it's it's a clash between so many players we know from from different eras. Right now, I can hear the listeners of this show just screaming, shut up, Ian, shut up, just tell me where it is. So where, where, where can we find all of this stuff? Yeah, uh, this new database will be released uh, late April, I hope so. Uh, and all my databases has been released through Steam. You can find them all in the workshop if you search for, for my username, The Mad Scientist, or some of the specific seasons are released. Also, I released them as Mediafire uh, files. Uh, so you can download them directly, uh, both the FMF file and the, the same game files. Uh, I link to them on my socials, on Twitter, on Facebook. And there's uh, and face, pack, uh, face packs for most of the databases as well, made by other creators. And, and tell, us, uh, tell us where to find you on social media. What are, what are your addresses? What's your website? Uh, the Mad Scientist FM on Twitter, on Facebook. That's the socials where I'm most active. Uh, you can also find my YouTube channel, The Mad Scientist FM, and my Twitch, where I go live when I release my databases. Uh, so we can use a couple of hours to browse against, uh, browse through the the, the squads. Um, that's the most common place you'll find me. And I mean, you you don't sell these or anything. You just you you give them out the goodness of your heart to the community. But if, if someone wanted to say thank you for bringing 85 86 to season perchance, um how, how would they how would they do that? Do you accept donations on Patreon or anything? I do. Uh, for the last 2 years I've uh, dedicated myself to these projects as you can uh, as you can hear 10 to 12 hours a day working on this stuff. So I uh, I fondly uh, take uh, donations through my paypal there's a link on my twitter uh, and on my facebook and patrons as well i have some patrons uh, who i 
I'm so so happy for because it helps me. It helps me uh, throw all these hours in in of work. Um, yeah, just I cannot stress enough what uh, an extraordinary achievement is to for one person to create so much data and for it to come out so accurate as well. Really looking forward to everything you do, and thank you so much for um, for coming on the show and talking to us. I appreciate that so much, Ian. Thank you for having me. I love your show. I love listening to it. Amazing. Thank you, mad scientist. Next up, it's your letters. Before that, here's something interesting. Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone. After a long day of zoom, doom, and gloom, it's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need... A bedtime story. I know, there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story, and it sounds like this. When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959. But they were 13th in the old second division now. Clough, too, was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider now. Yeah, don't listen to that one while you're driving. Right, letters, Abby! Before we get to the mailbag, I just want to uh, pull this one out quickly. Last week, Glenn Ivel wrote in to ask for help on set pieces. He carefully noted down my Schalke saving near post corner routine. And he's written back this week. Boom. Five goals in four games. Things like this make me very, very happy. But I sincerely hope he didn't spend too much time on long throws. Uh, Abby, what else have we got in there? Let me tell you, Ian, we have got... Dylan Dezeo, and he says, I started a new save with Villa this week. I was so excited to get started that I forgot to change my manager age. So I'm now a 20-year-old manager at Aston Villa. Is this going to affect my managerial influence in the dressing room? And is there any way to change my age after starting my save? <laughs> well, we spoke to Sports Interactive and no, there isn't a way to oh, change no. your age. Um, we're all really intrigued. Just like in real life. Happen. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, well, Sunderland have a 23-year-old owner, so I guess it's not that far from from there. Um, you you can't change the age. You can change the appearance. You will probably get some mentions in the media. But after that, we think that it's it's pretty much going to be like every other game. If you win, they'll be fine with it. So, uh, so good luck, Dylan. Good luck indeed. Uh, Brian Love wants to share some love. He says, we'll use this platform to thank Zach from theterrors.co.uk. That's Zach from Weymouth's social media team. I'm ready to begin my regular season in the Vanarama National League with Weymouth. And with the help from Zach, I know what tune is played pre-match while the Terrors walk from the tunnel. After a YouTubing of Waterfront by Simple Minds, I'm ready <laughs> for kickoff. <laughs> that is outstanding commitment to the cause, Brian. Um, I love this sort of thing. There's loads of it about the people who just pick clubs on Football Manager and then start following them in real life. I mean, Alex Stewart literally bought himself a Stuttgart shirt off the internet recently. And I think mm. I once ended up at Ballatown in North Wales um, for circumstances I can't really recall. Um, let, let's know more about this. How far have you gone to follow 
your FM club in, in real life, have you gone as far as Brian to literally contact the social media team and find out what music to play before before the game starts? There's nothing wrong with that. Do you know what tune Marseille play before they go out, Ian? I do not. Oh, no. there we go. I mean, would it be La Marseille? Because that would be easy, uh, I Possibly. imagine. Possibly. <laughs> I've asked a question I don't know the answer to. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. Very quickly. Who, who else have we got? We've got Brian Retty, who says, absolutely love the podcast and always has some valuable insights. Thank you very much, Brian. We aim to please. Uh, me and my friend Darren have been playing an online save. I went to Dunfermline and he went to Wraith Rovers. We met each other in the playoff semi-final to get promoted to the Scottish Premiership. And the first leg ended 1-1 at Starks Park. A great name. At home, in the second leg, we humiliated them by winning 9-1 and I haven't stopped mentioning it to him since. I want to get the match report blown up onto a poster and send it to him and one for myself. <laughs> do you know any good companies or websites that can do this sort of thing at a, reliably at a good price? I First of all, that's vicious. <laughs> I'm really, really impressed. Um, I'm, I'm, and also hoping that, that this isn't going to be the way that me and Alex's game goes. Um, the truth is, no, I don't know any good companies or websites that do it. But I have seen out on social media and within the community that, that there are people who make T-shirts and mugs and posters of formations and, and all sorts. So. Again, if you've if you've if you are one of the people who does things like this, get in contact with the show and we'll tell everyone about it. It is iMacintosh at theathletic.com. Is this worse than like, you know, that other football game where you have all those other punishments? I feel like if you lost 9-1 and someone sent you a match report, you just set it on fire, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean it's it, what what would you do with it and how would you explain it to your partner? Can we take that picture of your mother down? Because I have this match report of a game that I actually lost. <laughs> I have no words. I have no words. Let's go I to Joel know. Gibbs, I think. <laughs> what, what does Joel want? Joel says, big fan of the podcast, The Athletic, and is a veteran FM player. Tick, tick, tick. I've listened to your discussions re regarding having the additional cover of three at the back versus a standard back four. The best answer to this, in my opinion, is a back four with a half-back defensive midfielder sat in front. I use complete full-backs on attack left and right, but the half-back gives me a lovely balance and cover as he slots in with the two centre-backs. So it's very much like having a flexible four or three at the back. His gives this formation a 4-1-2-2-1. The attacking fullbacks are complemented by the inside forwards on attack in front of them, dragging the fullbacks out the way, and a false nine up front, bamboozling the centre-backs, who don't know whether to stick or follow as the inside forward move in behind them. Joel says this is highly recommended. Uh, this tactic has worked for me on the last four versions of the game. Get the half-back position in your Schalke team, Ian. Best player I've had for this position is Celtic's Aya. Six foot five, can defend and play. In front of Mings and Concert is a brick wall. Lots of clean sheets and plenty of goals. Hey, if only Aya could do that for Celtic in real life. <laughs> yes, that would have helped with our deadlines elsewhere in the yes. uh, athletic podcast department. That sound you can hear is everyone hitting the 30 seconds back button on their podcast provider to uh, to try and scribble it down. <laughs> but yeah, half-back defensive midfielder. I did actually try this with Sunderland. I had Grant Ledbetter doing it, which which was good in that he was um, a, a clever, experienced footballer who knew what to do with the ball, but bad because he was five foot nine, so wasn't so good at intercepting um, big balls over the top. So, um, so give it a go. I've got Xavi Martinez, albeit Xavi Martinez with no cruciate leg 
argument and uh, I might give this a go with with Marseille. Um, thank you again to everyone who's written in and huge apologies to people who've written in that we haven't been able to answer today. We're getting absolutely loads. We're in serious danger of needing an extra podcast just to answer them all. I'll try and answer them all um, personally on, on email though. Uh, if you want to get a question in, it is imacintosh at theathletic.com. The Football Manager Book Club. So this week I've gone bargain hunting and I've ended up with Gary Neville's 2011 autobiography. Stick with me. Now, obviously doesn't include his short spell at Valencia, which is a shame because that whole episode was basically a real-life version of a FIFA player's first ever go on FM. You know, in with the best of intentions, definitely knew who at least seven of the first team were. Turned out to be way more difficult than first expected. Now, that book will be brilliant. But in fairness, this book's pretty good too especially for £1.99. Gunev, as we all know, is one of the most articulate, incisive football pundits since punditry began. There is no wibble with this man. It's all good, high-protein wordage. And so it proves here in a tight read that rattles along without ever getting bogged down. So why are we discussing a book about a player when this is a podcast about management? Because Neville turns out to be a very modest sort of protagonist. He spends more time discussing other people than he does himself. His observations of an adult life working for Sir Alex Ferguson, a man he almost constantly just refers to as the manager or the boss. And that's what we came for. But there's just as much attention on on his England managers. Men like Terry Venables. Approves. And Glenn Hoddle. Disapproves. And Howard Wilkinson. Really disapproves. It's also quite amusing to recall how hard everyone freaked out between 2004 and 2006 in what Neville himself refers to as the Jemba Jemba years. Those years were followed by, of course, three titles on the bounce and the creation of what some regard as the greatest Ferguson team of all time. I mean, they're wrong, of course. The greatest Ferguson team was a 93-94 team. Or possibly early 80s Aberdeen, at least in terms of overachievement. Anyway, it's a lovely diversion. It's a thoroughly entertaining book. And again, one ninety nine on Apple Books and Kindle when I bought it. Does it teach you stuff about football management? Yes. Does it make you want to play football manager? Yes. Specifically to inaugurate golden generations of youth players at big clubs. Now, if you're a publisher and you've got a book about football management coming out and you want to wave it in front of thousands and thousands of football management enthusiasts, drop me a line. No one has so far, but I'm still here. I'm McIntosh at theathletic.com. The Football Manager Bundesliga Challenge. No Alex Stewart today. He's moving house this week, uh, quite possibly listening to this very podcast as he does so. So lift with your knees, Alex. Your knees, not your back. But he is returning. And I have to say... I'm very pleased about that because if you've kept up to date with the FM challenge over on The Athletic, you'll know that we very nearly lost him. He was on the insecure list. He had ex-pros lining up to castigate him in the press. He couldn't buy a win because they're pretty strict about that sort of thing in Germany since the whole 2005 thing. But he's back. He turned it around. He simplified his tactics. He strung some wins together. And while he's not completely out of the woods, I'm confident he'll pick up the three or four victories he needs from the last 12 games to ensure survival. As for Schalke, we've got a skeleton squad and no money. Apparently throw-ins aren't going to be much use for much longer. But we're still latched onto those European places like a little blue-shirted barnacle. What the hell am I going to do later? Danny DaCosta's transfer value just halved. 
Alex will be back to look ahead to the run-in next week. And remember, you can find all the old episodes on The Athletic. Uh, Keep an eye out, too, on some plans for uh, some YouTube content. But more on that later. And that's our show. Your guests were Jack Joyce of Sports Interactive and DeLuca Stoltz, a.k.a. The Mad Scientist. Your producer was Abby Patterson, and I am still Ian McIntosh. That's not a thing that you or anybody else can do about it. The Athletic.